Everybody hear me okay? Very good. <clears throat> well, this morning we are continuing in John chapter uh, 9. Well, we're starting in John chapter 9. We finished, uh, two weeks ago we were together, we finished chapter 8. And so this morning we're going to cover the first uh, 12 verses of John chapter 9. <clears throat> I'll read these verses together again. Uh, John 9, 1 through 12. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me, while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who had previously seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? But he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Let's read. Uh, let's pray together. <clears throat> uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, our time this morning. Father, we ask that you use your word, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, to uh, open our eyes, Father, and give us sight and insight into how to serve you better in this world. And Father, we pray that you'll use your word to continue to change our hearts, to grow us up in you, and make us more like Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you remember back in chapter 5, we saw uh, the healing uh, where Jesus healed uh, the man at, uh, at the pool of Bethesda, if you remember. Uh, and you remember the reaction. That was, that, remember that healing was done on the Sabbath. Uh, and what was the response? Do you remember? Obviously the man's very happy. But what was the response from the authorities? They were what? They were incensed. Right, very upset. Why? Because he had healed a man uh, on the Sabbath. Remember that was their that was their big problem. Well, here in chapter nine, uh, we see history repeating itself. Okay, we have uh, this time we Jesus has an encounter with a man who was born blind, blind from birth, and this healing also happens on the Sabbath, and it leaves the authorities very, very upset. Now today, in our lessons before us today, we're only going to focus on the miracle itself. Lord willing, uh, we're together again next week. We will look at the reaction. Okay, so that's, that's the plan for today. And John's account, as he starts in chapter 9, begins with a theological question from the disciples. Now, and, and you think about this before we get into the question. You think about these men who are traveling along with Jesus day to day. Right, learning from him, uh, being with him, just, just you can. I can only imagine that this sort of thing, this kind of question, 
probably happened on a regular basis. Wouldn't you imagine? That as you were walking day, daily with Jesus, things would come up in the world, right? They would meet people. They would something. They would uh, think of a question from the Old Testament or, or something. You can, you can just imagine these type of questions happen on a regular basis. Okay, you can just imagine. Again, they're not all recorded because there's no room to record all of them. But what we see here is this question, a theological question from the disciples. Verse 1, it says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now John doesn't explain the circumstances around Jesus' knowledge, okay, about this man or anything. Um, uh, but so we don't exactly know what happened. John just kind of gets right into it, right? Uh, but but uh, whatever happened, if, if Jesus saw him or somebody had a question or Jesus mentioned it or something, it provoked this question. So this question comes up. Verses uh, 2 and 3. <clears throat> and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? That he was born blind. So as we consider this question, we're going to spend a little time here. Okay, so just get comfortable. Okay, we're going to spend a little bit uh, with this this question. The disciples, seeing that this man is blind from birth, uh, they were curious about the reason for his blindness, and they only saw two possibilities. Right? They give him. They ask Jesus an either-or question. Right. Either, what's the reason, Jesus? Uh, either this man is blind from because of his own sin, or is he blind, or, or he's either blind f- uh, based on the sin of his parents. Okay, so they ask Jesus an either-or question, and so here we see the the disciples falling into this either-or uh, fallacy. Okay, uh, it's either-or. People people say it uh, all the time. They say, "Well, this is either this or it's that." And they're emphatic, right? There's just, there's just, uh, there's just this. Only two answers: either this one or that one. And there are many things that fall into this category. Okay, there are many things that fall into the either-or category. For example, God either exists or He doesn't. It's either-or, right? He exists. Or he doesn't. There really is no middle ground with that question. Would you agree? So there are some questions that either or questions are valid questions, right? But here in this uh, situation, the disciples were ignoring, completely ignoring the possibility of another option, a third option. So Jesus' first response was to correct them and to correct their logic. And he replies with a very simple answer, neither. Neither. So what was Jesus saying? He says, you ask me an either or question. First of all, you're failing to consider a third option or more multiple options. And so neither, Jesus asks, because there's another option that they had completely failed to consider. Now, so that's his answer to the either or question, neither. But what Jesus is going to be doing is he's going to be dealing with a false assumption on behalf of the disciples uh, and, and what's behind their question, what led to their question. Okay, So they had a false assumption about suffering in this world. Okay, Their assumption was that this man's blindness was a direct result of one of two things, his own sin or his parents. 
Okay, that's their assumption. That's where they're coming from. Okay, the, the, this is a false assumption that Jesus is about to correct. So the man's blindness, he's blind from birth. It's either a, a direct, okay, I'm saying a direct result from his own sin or his parents. Now, the root of this assumption, okay, was a deeper one. And the, and, and the deeper uh, assumption is this, that all affliction and all pain and all suffering is divine punishment for sin. Okay, that's kind of the root of what we're talking about here. Now, Listen, yes, yes, ma'am. Correct. That's that's their assumption. It's either one or the other. It says direct sin. We even uh, conceived in sin, which I think is probably scriptural, right? That we were even conceived in sin. So yes. But that's not probably what they're asking. I I think maybe they are. I'm not 100 percent sure. I mean, it sounds like it's an either or. It's either. This man's sin, his own sin in his life, is now, and, and we're gonna we're gonna dive into this a little bit deeper. I, I, yeah. I that, but I'm just saying, it sounds it, when they talk about sin, they talk about something somebody's done for the most part. Right. I don't think they. I don't. I know they knew it should. Everybody was born in sin. Obviously, David talked right. about that other thing too. But I, to me, this question is like he's done something, but he didn't do anything in the womb. Do you see right. what I'm saying? Sure. It's just a very. It's just interesting. I don't know. I hope you do. Did you have something to add, Pastor? Did you have? You want to add something to that, or? The way I haven't looked at the of that particular verse, but it seems like they're asking, was it his transgression of the law or his parents? Um, and when we talk about original sin or our participation in it, um, that would be he was born with a sin nature. And I don't think they're asking. He's, they're asking Jesus, is it because of his sin nature? that this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is an interesting question because unless they don't know that he has been this way since he was born, um, it's just an odd way to ask. Are they really asking because God knew this man would sin against him that he decided he would make his whole existence right. much harder than everyone else's? Um, is is God representing visually for up the rest of us what sin is by making this man blind his whole life and basically sentencing him to be here every day. Sure. As a reminder to all of God's people that this is an outward uh, representation of what sin does on the inside. Um, and obviously we know Jesus' answer, but I, I do sure. think it's a curious <clears throat> question. It, it I is. I think they're asking about actual transgressions, not mm-hmm. the inherent sin nature that he got from his parents. Okay, very good. Well, it's good. Good questions. We're gonna we're gonna dive deeper. We're definitely. I'm presenting content as presented, uh, obviously through Sproul's book. So we'll maybe we'll get through all what Sproul has to offer. Then maybe we'll have some some clarity. Maybe. Okay. All right. So so good discussion. Good questions. Please, by all means, if during these lessons, if you have a question just like that, please, hey, stop me. Or what I was thinking is the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generations. 
So, like, that there was some punishment on this child because of the sins his parents had done. Not okay. that he was conceived in sin, like he was didn't have yeah. a father or something like that. But you see what I'm saying? That's what I was sure. thinking, that they were asking. So how many grandparents back committed a sin that he's playing out right now in this life? Sure. Well, we're going to dig deeper. We're probably not going to be able to fully answer but we're going to build out the relationship between sin and suffering. That's what we're really going to spend the time, kind of what's, because that's what Sproul spent his time talking about. Um, so let's let's so get back to where we were. Good questions, good discussion. Please continue to do that if uh, when needed. And so, so, so the, the the root of this assumption here is that uh, affliction, in this case, a man's blindness, is divine punishment for sin. That's kind of the, the idea. And then when you when you think about that idea, okay, this idea is addressed for us. In the Old Testament book of Job. Okay? If you remember, when all the afflictions started happening to Job, what was his best friends, his closest friends, what was their conclusion? Their conclusion was, he's the worst sinner in the land. Because he's lost everything. Look at this, the amount of uh, suffering that he's going through. So they have the conclusion, man, you are the worst sinner there is. Because you're experiencing the worst form of suffering anybody's experienced. Right? That was their, the logic was this, that there was a direct connection in Job's life between the degree of one's suffering and the degree of one's own sin. That was the logic behind their conclusion, right? Well, of course, the book of Job refutes this by showing that it was had nothing to do uh, with Job's own sin. His suffering didn't have anything to do with that. Right? The book of Job teaches us that. However, we cannot dismiss the question too quickly. I think it's we've asked them some good questions here because we need to remember that on many occasions, okay, in the history of God's people, personal afflictions, personal suffering did come upon people because of sin. Okay, it has happened. We have it documented, right? Uh, Dr. Sproul tells a story about his dad. He says... Uh, he said, my dad was religious, I'll use that word, but um, determined. He always tithed. And he insisted upon tithing. No matter if he was in little or in want, he always insisted on tithing. He made sure his children, he says, anytime that his, R.C. says as a young man, as a boy living in his house, when he would have a side job or something, if he made a dollar, then he, R.C. said his dad made sure he tithed a tenth, even of a dollar. Okay, every time he was just, this is what you have to do. And he did it most of his life. Okay, and he, and he tithed. And he says, so, Dr. Spruill goes on, he says, there was, uh, once there was a dear friend of his dad's. His dad had his own, the, the, the friend's, excuse me, his dad's friend has his own business. And the business was suffering financially. And so, Dr. Sproul's dad chose to help him financially and spent a lot of money trying to prop this guy's business up. I think it was a car dealership, if I'm not mistaken. Sounds familiar. Um, But what happened one year, uh, he had given so much to help his friend that he couldn't, and his he 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 did not tithe for about a year. I think is what it was. What Sproul said. The very next year. Dr. Sproul's father suffered three debilitating strokes and they eventually took his life. Now, while he was still here, Dr. Sproul's father insisted 
and was convinced that his physical ailments and problems were a direct result of his not tithing. He was absolutely convinced. I failed to tithe. Now I'm getting punishment for it. Absolutely convinced. Now, the, the, Dr. Sproul says that at the time, he didn't believe that. His dad was telling him that. He didn't believe it. He said, there's no way that someone could live 50 years in life and, and, and be so dedicated to the tithe and have one bad year and now you have this. He says, absolutely convinced he was wrong about his dad's idea. And now Sproul says, I was absolutely wrong. He says, God can and does visit His people with afflictions when they disobey Him. Now, that's, we're going to keep going. Okay, what we, How do we know that? Okay, Well, we know that throughout biblical history, when people violate the law of God, God visits them with judgment. It has happened. Okay, what happened to the baby born uh, to David and Bathsheba? The baby was taken, right? Uh, God took the life of the baby. We have it documented for us in 2 Samuel 12. How about Moses' sister Miriam? She protested, right, about, about Moses' marriage and she rebelled against his leadership. What happened? God sent... Who remembers leprosy on her? So we have accounts where there has been direct suffering on an individual because of their own sin. Now, there's a a few statements that I hope will clear a little bit of this thing up for us. We have examples where it has happened. Okay, So we cannot say that sin and affliction are never linked. We can't say that. We can't make that absolute statement, right? But on the other side of the coin, we can also not say that sin and affliction are always linked. Okay? Do you see you see where we are? Okay? It can happen, but we can't say that it's always the case. Okay, when you when you, and this passage today uh, makes it very clear. The passages are before us, right? Makes it very clear. Uh, and, and when you think about those two statements, we, we can't say that sin and affliction are never linked, nor can we say that they're always linked. Okay, I guess when it comes to personal circumstances or things, we have to come to a point where we say we just don't know, right? Because now. You're peering into, we're going to talk about this because you're peering into, you're trying to understand the providence of God and how He works. And, and you just don't know. How could any of us ever say this particular sin resulted in this particular thing? You, you're looking into the things of God now. You can say it might be and it might not be. You don't know for sure, right? We won't know for sure on this side of, the, on this side of heaven. But again, this passage makes it clear those two statements are true. Okay, so there's a false assumption. We've got the disciples asking a question. It's either this or that. Jesus says neither. It's, you're assuming that it's the direct result, but that's not the case here. That's what Jesus tells them. Clearly, look at Jesus' own life. Did Jesus experience suffering in this life? Absolutely. 
Was it because of his own sin? Absolutely not, because he had none. So we, we see there are some things here that are, that are real for us that we can understand. I do think when he says there about the, his answer, Jesus is not denying that this man or his parents have a sin nature or that they have sinned in their life. Correct, he's not denying he, that. He's not saying that they are not sinners. What he is saying is that there is not a straight line between the two. That's correct. And that's why I, I tend to think that it's, it's not related to... They're not asking, is it because of his original sin? Because he inherited, you know, he's born of Adam. Right. Um, but I, I do think, too, in the examples that you gave in the Old Testament, both of those were specific transgressions against God's authority and leadership. Yep. So God said one thing, someone did something else, and they received the due punishment for it. And there are times in life when we also receive that. There are also times when we suffer because we made a bad choice. Right. So we're receiving the due consequences, the natural law, if you will, living in, in this world. Sure. So you can't say, well, God's punishing me because I made a bad choice. You made a bad choice, therefore, consequences. Um, yeah. I think that's that's different than than looking at someone like Job and saying it looks like it came out of nowhere. Why in the world did this happen? Why has this happened to me or to my family? Right. So we can't be down in the mouth personally, it, looking at our own lives or the lives of our family members, saying where did this where did this come from? Uh, always wondering, okay, what should I go back and repent of? Though I think that is helpful. It is helpful to have a repentant lifestyle. Yep. But even in the, in the case of what we're seeing here, it looks like, well, Jesus says it wasn't their sin, so it's just a random act of vengeance from the living God. And he gives them a very clear answer, no, it's not that. Right. Um, and I think that it's helpful for God's people, for all of us, to think through the trials we walk through. Where Where is this coming from? Is there grace from the Lord in it? Um, it should drive us to him, not away from him. Amen to that. Amen to that. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for helping understand a, a difficult situation, something difficult to understand. It's okay. Thank you for adding that. <clears throat> so, Jesus clearly suffered. He did not suffer for his own sin. We uh, agree with that. Also, we know another thing we know about God and suffering, right? Because we know that God does allow suffering in our lives. For the purpose of refining us. Sometimes. That happens in the life of believers. right? To teach us. Kind of to what Pastor was just talking about. Uh, to, to teach us how to be more dependent on Him. He will allow suffering. Is it, is it a direct thing? Well I guess you know we can't say it is or it's not. But we know it happens. Okay, it happens in, uh, in our lives. And, and, and when you talk about in, in general terms. right? We can say. In general terms, we can say that all suffering in this world is a result of sin. Why? Why can we say that? Because before the fall, there was no suffering. And if Adam and Eve had not sinned, it would have perpetuated. You know, somebody would have eventually. I would have. If they got to me, I'd be the one. Right? Everybody could blame me. Right? But but in general terms, it it all the suffering in the world is a result of sin. Okay? In general terms. We can agree with that. So, so there is an overarching relationship between sin in this world and suffering. But we make a mistake. The mistake is this. We make a mistake when we reduce that overarching principle to a one-on-one relationship in people's lives. Okay, we make that's where we make a mistake. 
Uh, Dr. Sproul gives another uh, history lesson from his own life. He tells about a friend uh, that he had. His name was Harvey. He had uh, met him during uh, college. And Harvey had cerebral palsy. Okay, so in college, uh, some of their friends, not, not, not Dr. Sproul, not R.C., but some of the other friends of Harvey tried to perform a faith healing. Okay, they, 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 um, they, they did all these steps, right, of faith healing, and, and none of it worked. Okay, and uh, basically they kept saying, well, you don't have enough faith, Harvey. You know, it's basically it's your fault that you can't be healed from this. And they took him down a path, and, and, and there was no miracle performed because of their actions. And so they concluded, so, so they tried everything they thought would heal this man, right? Did all these things. None of it worked. So their conclusion was he must be demon-possessed. That was their conclusion. That's what they told him. You're demon-possessed. We can't do anything about it. So Harvey came to R.C. and says, R.C., do you think I'm demon-possessed? That's a... He was... He's hearing what his friends say, right? And, and he's... I, I don't I don't understand this. R.C., do you think I'm demon-possessed? And R.C. said, absolutely not. I do not think you're demon-possessed. And then Dr. Spurl prayed for him. He prayed in this way. He says, Lord, thank you that you have given this man such a sweetness of disposition and such a profound faith in you. After they got done praying, Harvey was smiling from ear to ear. And, and R.C., you know, why, why are you smiling so much? And he says, R.C., he said, that is the first time that anyone has ever called me a man. Do you see the, the weight of that? Hmm. Now, R.C. said, I have no idea why Harvey had cerebral palsy. I have no idea. And he doesn't either. He has no idea. And really, it doesn't matter, does it? Why he has cerebral palsy. God had given Harvey the best gift ever. He had given him salvation through his son. And Harvey was happy with that until people around him approached him and distorted the view of the relationship between suffering and sin. And they tried to take away the very joy of his salvation, telling him he's demon-possessed. Now, we might not finish today's lesson. That's okay. <laughs> In our lesson today, okay, we see the same kind of assumption okay, on behalf of the disciples. Right? Whose, whose fault is it that this man's blind? Is it his sin or is it his parents' sin? Jesus answered, neither. This man's blindness is not a result of his sin or his parents. In other words, Jesus was saying, in the providence of God, this man has been afflicted with blindness so that God someday may heal him and be glorified. Now just, you can imagine um, this man has dealt with blindness his whole life. Uh, he's dealt with this affliction. He had, he had no idea that one day, again, in the fullness of time, uh, that 
the Son of God would be there in person and come and personally heal him. He had no idea. But what Jesus is telling us here is that that was the plan from the beginning. That was the plan and God's plan in the mind of our Heavenly Father. This is the plan from the beginning that this would happen. Why? And then, and then who would be glorified? God Himself would be glorified. Only God knows why we go through the things that we go through. But we know as believers that the promise of God is that He does what? All those things, He brings about it for good in our lives. We know that. To refine us, to teach us, to remind us, whatever the case may be, it's for our ultimate good. Even, even the worst suffering and the worst pain, the most confusing events in our lives, all will result in God being glorified. And this man's suffering that had gone on for a lifetime resulted in God being glorified, didn't it? That's why the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. If this man had remained blind for his entire life, how does blindness in this life compare to eternity with Jesus in heaven? How does it compare? I've said it this way in this class before. All of us, we, we know the Lord is our Savior. And he's, so he's, he's done something to us that we could never do on our own. It's the most amazing thing in the world. There's nothing better than what he's done for us. And if from today forward, if we have nothing but suffering and hardness in this life, he has done enough. And we should glorify him in that, shouldn't we? Verses 4 and 5. This is Jesus. I must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus said, while it is day. Jesus meant what He was telling Him. As long as He was still on the earth with His disciples. That's what He's referring to. While it's day. While I'm here with you. Uh, now this, this phrase, these this words of Jesus, they don't mean... That somehow Jesus stops being the light when he goes back to heaven, right? That's, that's not what he means here. But what he does mean is that the light of his own person, his own self, shines most brightly among men while he's on earth and doing the Father's will. He has, he's there in, in person. The, the darkness he referred to, the night. He said the night is coming. Most likely a special uh, reference to the period when Jesus was crucified. Okay, the times when he was, um, and he'd be taken from his disciples from when he was crucified and uh, before his uh, resurrection. Until, and you can see Jesus here, he, he reveals his strong sense of mission, right, in this thing. He, he's got things he has to do while he's here on earth. And we can, we just have a sampling of them here in, in, in the Gospel of John, like his, his trip uh, through Samaria to see the woman in the well. Why did he go to Samaria? Because it was the shortest way? No, he's going because he's got a, a, a divine appointment to meet somebody. He's going to have an encounter with, right? That was why he went that way. Why is he here? Why is he? He's got a divine, a divine appointment from a, before the foundation of the world to come give this man his sight. Verses 6 and 7. 
It says, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and he made clay with saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool, which is translated sent, saloam, wash, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and it came back seeing. Now notice there's a, a little nuance. There's a little difference with this miracle, right? Um, remember the, the wedding in Cana. Jesus didn't go. You, you remember the miracle? He turned the water into wine. He didn't. He didn't go in back into the kitchen and start mixing stuff up in a in a in a, in a, in a water vat, right? And, and just make a concoction. Okay, now it's wine. He didn't do that. He just did it. He just turned the water into wine, right? We see later. We will see later in this book when Jesus um, brought Lazarus out of the tomb. What did What did Jesus do? Did he Did he go and perform CPR on Lazarus? No. He he did what? Lazarus come out. Immediately. It was done. There was no means. It was just his own words, right? He just did it. Well, here, uh, God, as, as we see, God brings about his result through different means, and we see it here. Uh, it's, it's very similar uh, when God parted the Red Sea for the nation of Israel to walk through. What did he do? It tells us he brought the winds, right? And it separated the water. God used the winds to do it miraculously. Still a miracle. But God used means, right? So likewise, here, in the case of the blind man, he used means of doing what? He, 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 spit, he spat in the dirt. He, 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 um, he, he used that to heal this man. He put it on his eyes and, and to heal this man, right? Although, did he have to do that? No, he could have just made him, well, right there on the spot, just for his word. Receive your sight. It could have been done. But Jesus chose to use a... Uh, a means this way. Now, there's no there's no special healing elements, right, in the clay, the dirt of Palestine. Uh, there's nothing special about the dirt there, the clay. Uh, I read, uh, I can't remember which commentary it was, but it's kind of a, you know, this may be it, right? It's kind of neat to think about it. It, it said, what if what if Jesus used uh, the clay because of the, in the same manner that when Jesus, because He's the Word, He was with God, everything was made through Him that was made, right? How did He make the first human beings? He made them out of the ground, didn't He? He made them from the ground. What if, what if, what if Jesus used the clay to make a new pair of eyes for this man? He could have done that, couldn't He? He could have done that because He's God. That's really neat to think about, isn't it? That him... This the author of creation is here, and he could do that. He could combine some saliva with some dirt and make new eyes if he wanted to, because he's God. It's at this point uh, we we see that Jesus is is giving an object lesson to the man. Are, are, basically, are you willing to do what I say? Do are you willing to? Do you have enough faith? You have faith in me that I can do what I say. And what do you suppose was going through this man's mind? Uh, Dr. Sproul points out that the biblical writers are often masters of understatement. Okay? <laughs> what, how do they say it? He says the man went, he did what Jesus said, and he came back seeing. Period. That's like eight, nine words, right? Ten words, right? <laughs> the man went, he did what he said, he came back seeing. Wow. It's a miracle of giving the man sight. There's a, an understatement here. But you can just imagine, he's seeing things for the very first time. He saw people for the very first time. He saw things he'd only heard about and been told about. And he could only imagine in his mind's eye, right? But soon, there was one person that he wanted to see before anyone else. He wanted to see who had healed him. 
And so he goes back to the place where he had been given, or he had been, the, it had, the miracle had happened, but when he, the, Jesus had put the clay on his eyes, and Jesus is not there. He's not there. Verses 8 and 9 says, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, it's, He's like him. But he said, I am he. Now where did this, we hadn't talked about him being there begging, right? You can imagine, right, in this time, okay, 2,000 years ago, somebody with this uh, type of disability was basically a person who has been sentenced to, to beg. They had no means to provide for themselves, and they were beggars. That was their only means of support. So the people knew him because he's there. That's, he's a beggar. They, that's, that's the only way he can support himself. And so... So some people said, hey, wait, isn't this him? He's always here begging. He's the blind man. Some didn't believe it. No, 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 absolutely not. That can't be him. No way. There's no way that could be him. Finally, the man himself said, I am he. Yeah. He says, yes, it's me. I'm healed. I have been healed. I can see for the first time. Of course, naturally, they were curious. Well, how can this be? Verses 10 and 11 says, Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and I washed and I received my sight. So, Jesus used a, a three-step process here for him, right? He told him, this is, this is what happened. And, and he did know who his name was. He fully acknowledged there was a man called Jesus. He is the one who has done this miracle. So in verse 12, the people asked, well, where is Jesus? Well, he didn't know. The man didn't know. Well, he didn't even know what Jesus looked like, Right? He wouldn't know him if he's standing in front of him, if you saw him. I imagine he would know his voice, but he didn't even know what Jesus looked like. And we know that very soon he would meet his healer. Very soon. And we'll get to that, Lord willing, next week. But what we see here through this, this miracle, I know we've we spent a lot of time talking about the correlation between sin and suffering uh, in this world, okay? What we see here is that Jesus did open his eyes physically, right? He did. But we will see also what? That Jesus opens his eyes spiritually, doesn't he? If, you know, if you're familiar with the rest of the chapter, read ahead. It has a happy ending, right, for this man. It has a very happy ending. And so what we know about blindness, of course, we know that the, that the Bible uses the metaphor of blindness over and over and over again. And it's in reference to people who cannot see the truth of Christ. They are, the Bible tells us, spiritually blind. They cannot see the things of God. Just like this man is physically blind. He could not see the Son of God standing in front of him. We see that the Son of God gives him new eyes so that he can see. And this wonderful soul, we will see again one day. We will meet him one day. Isn't that amazing? We will be where he is. 
when we think about the spiritual eyes, the eyes of, and we think about uh, the eyes of your own soul, your own heart, the eyes of natural man are blind to the things of God until what? Until the Holy Spirit opens them. That is the truth. The people didn't know who he was. They couldn't identify him. And the reason they couldn't identify him is they had never seen him. They never really looked at him. They didn't Mm. pay any attention. Mm. They walked past him Mm. all the time. Jesus doesn't do that to us. He actually sees us and he sees our need. Yes. And our city saw the need of that fellow that had cerebral palsy. Yes. Because he had real spiritualized for it. Yes. To go and see if I can make some kind of So I think that's, a, I think that's an indictment against us sometimes too because there are people that we don't see. We don't take the time mm-hmm. to see. How many, how many times do we walk right by people just like this? I can say less than, you know, like they're less than me because of, you know, whatever's going on in their life or me versus them or us versus them kind of mentality. And like Pam was saying, like it's really easy to do that without actually um, not seeing them, like really getting to know what's going on in their life and and spending time with them and and actually caring um, versus just making a quick assumption. Yeah. We're all guilty of this, aren't we? Just walking by people. Matthew Henry said this, uh, this poor man could not see Christ. But Christ saw him. And if we know or apprehend anything of Christ, it is because we were first known of him. Christ saw you. If you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. He saw you first. And as a result, you can see Him. Isn't that amazing? It's truly, truly amazing. What a what a wonderful Savior we have. I'll, I'll end, I'll conclude with one more quote from Matthew Henry. It was, it was, it was very wonderful. Uh, this represents, this, this thing, this, this, this represents the benefits in attending on ordinances of Christ's appointment. Souls go weak, And they come away strengthened. They go doubting and they come away satisfied. They go mourning and they come away rejoicing. They go blind and they come away seeing. An encounter with Christ makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Any questions or any comments? We did get through this. I didn't think we were, but we did. It was very good. Any any questions, any comments? Okay, thank you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for our time. Father, we thank you that as we approach your word, Father, it is alive. Father, it it is not a dead book that means nothing in our lives. Father, we take away, we give you praise and glory because you have the power of healing. Father, and in this particular uh, instance, as we started today, it reminds us how many times, Father, we look over people and we look right past them. Father, we know you'd never do that. Father, you see everybody for who they are, Father, and you know exactly what they need. And so we just pray that you would give us those eyes 
Father, as we live and move and have our being in this world, give us your eyes so that we can see people and ultimately lead them towards you for their salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.